Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Well, 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 well. I see people are still uptight about this Ghostbusters movie. The 2016 one will never rest, huh? I mean, in its own right, it's already got its um, legendary status and notoriety way of speaking, you know? Because people won't let it go. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a movie. You know, it's kind of like how people were freaking out or being upset about Venom 2. And it's like, was the movie really that bad? You know, but fortunately it's the right time of the season for it so I can go ahead and talk about it because it is the Monster Fest. And the truth is, it's also, well, let me go on ahead and explain it to you like this. Welcome to the J-Bat Show here on K360 Radio. What's going on, J360 Legion? How are you all doing tonight? It is J-Man, of course, and welcome back to the J-Man Show for episode 224. We're still on the road to 300, and it is still the, yes, you know it, the Monster Fest. (laughs) I never get enough of that. Yeah, so continuing on with our nice um, event here, I have more Nightmare Tales for you all, and then I also have to talk about some of the movies that were around. Now, as I was talking about Ghostbusters for a minute, I will go ahead and get this out of the way. I haven't rated them yet. There's plenty of time in the fest, and all three Ghostbusters movies are getting rated. Yes, one, two, and the one that nobody likes. Apparently, nobody likes. I like to sit here and think, you know, I've only seen it one time, and even then it wasn't really all that memorable. So, now I'm going to go ahead and do it because it'll be looking at with fresh eyes. And see, the thing about it is, before some of y'all freak out and say, Jay, don't look at it, it'll make you blind and all that jazz. Well, you know what? A lot of y'all realize this, right? The more we keep talking about it, the more this movie is going to be vindicated, because guess what? 
we brought it back into prominence. See, the thing is, what reactionaries and what a lot of people that are anti this or pro this forget to tell you is, when it's something that really nobody cared about, it can be brought back to cult status just by talking about it. Because everybody knows this movie wasn't holding a candle to the source material. And a lot of people will sit there and they'll talk about, oh, how bad it was. And it just grows a legend on its own. It's kind of how, like, when we elevate toxic people and when we talk about, you know, publications such as, like, namely The Shade Room or any of these other, you know, urban publications out there that do nothing but talk about, like, how bad or salty somebody's relationship is or, like, when you should know when, when to check your woman or check your man or check your, your, you know, your whomever. It's like, you know, after a while, who the hell keeps making these rules? And why the hell would I listen to you instead of following through on, you know, um, let's see, what is the term? The term is like your intuition. You know what I mean? Develop that for a little bit because after a while, you you would know better than any of these damn outlets would. You would know like how to show some self-control. But then again, a lot of y'all don't know what the hell self-control is. Fortunately, I'm here to teach you from time to time. But you see, the thing about it is, like, as we are and, you know, and as we grow as people, it just doesn't need to be Monster Fest time to deal with monsters, because some of us deal with monsters on a daily basis. Some of us are our own monster. And I say that a lot when it comes to mob mentality. Check yourself when it really happens with mob mentality, because some people will rope you into stuff that you didn't even think about. Some people will try to label you as such that, you know, you're really, really not for. And then there comes the time where it's like... They'll throw the friendship in there, too. Be like, you know, you owe me, uh, uh, you know, our, our friendship. Blah, 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 blah. You know, like I always say this. There are people that I hang with, and then there are people that, you know, I don't hang with. And there's people like, you know, that like J-Man and really dislike J-Man. And I love those people because, like I said, that keeps me going every day. I love it when people really, really don't like me. Because it's mutual. I share it right back. I tell you straight up, I don't care for you either. And, you know, it's like this. There's just parties I don't go to. And whether it's content creating, whether it's dealing with other, you know, dealing with other musicians that want to be in the jam fam, but they don't know how to follow through on things. I mean, like, you see it on my Instagram from time to time. You see it on this. Like, there are times where it seems like I'm short with people, but I'm really not. It's just that, you know, I'm pretty, pretty productive. And if you really want to work on something, well, let's go ahead and do this kind of stuff. Because it takes a lot of footwork to run a show. One show, let alone seven or eight. See, a lot of people are not like me like that. You know what I'm saying? But me, if I'm running shows, and if I'm talking to you, yeah, that that, that time should be used for something crucial. Unless it's like power play time, but even then, you know, some people take advantage of that too. Like, I'm really retweaking the power play, so don't, don't ever, like... You know, little things like that. It's like, well, it's a video game show. Yeah, a lot goes into it, though. Put it that way. Unless you want real crap. I'll, I'll give you crap. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll give you a whole lot of slop to gulp down. But if you want something credible and you want something that really has standards and a standing to it, you better leave me the hell alone and let's really, com- you know, let me do my job. Or otherwise, tell me something at that point in time because you ain't going to get that time back. And I know I won't. So that's why I am the way I am. It's not anything personal against you. It's just like I know people and I know people love to waste time. And it's like, get to the point, you know? And that being said, though, always be thinking and pay attention to your social group. Because your social group, if you're not careful, 
could be toxic as hell and could get you killed. And there's lots of horror stories in real life and in movie life that dictate that, depict that all the time, I should say. So, little things like that. And if you need a real example, check out Whitney Houston. That one went through another butt toxicity. But, <laughs> going back into this, though, I do want to go ahead and talk about Venom 2 while we're on it. And I, the thing about Ghostbusters 2016 is, I'm, I'm going to wait to see what it looks like, and then I'll let you all know. Who knows? I might even live-tweet the thing. But, if anything else, like, Venom 2, uh, let's see, Let There Be Carnage. Pretty much a watered-down version of the Maximum Carnage storyline. And a sequel to what came about in 2018's Venom. You know, I looked at the first one before I looked at the second one, and I liked the first one. I mean, for what it's worth, and yeah, it's watered-down version of Lethal Protector. You know, I've mentioned that before. And the thing is, it like it, it plays on its own beat, and it's kind of it seems like Tom Hardy's having a fun time being Eddie Brock and also voicing Venom. And you know, they kind of had that odd couple thing that was actually pretty funny for its time. And then not to mention, you know, they utilize a lot of the ultimate Spider-Man mythos regarding Venom because there's no Spidey in that universe yet. And you see the way it played out, it was actually pretty enjoyable. The only thing is, is that, you know, Riot really wasn't a credible villain as much as I'd like them to be. So, you know, I, I, you know, you could tell it was like proto-Carnage at best with, with Riot. And that's the only thing. Like, when you get through the paper-thin plot and you just realize that, why, do, why does everybody like the Deadpool movie? Not because of the plot. They liked it because Deadpool, the character, finally has a movie. And it's the same thing that worked with Venom. A lot of people are like, hey, Venom finally has a movie. Let's enjoy that then. Is it anything like Spider-Man 3? No? Okay, great. <laughs> Little thing like that. And then the same thing could be said for the sequel to this film. Now, we finally got Venom and Carnage in this movie. And you see, like... The problem is, is that they took what was funny about the first Venom movie and upscaled it. If anything, like, Venom and Tom Hardy are flanderized in the sequel. Because, like, they're, they're all yelling at each other. They had, like, an old married couple. Not like, you know, two roommates. You know what I'm saying? They had, like, a married couple at this point. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is the days of 2021 where, guess what? You can't just be friends with people. You got to be going to bed and all this extra crap with them and stuff. Like, you got to be gay for gay for them, you know? And that's not a bad thing to say. But, you know, that's the thing that a lot of these people try to throw at people and stuff like that. They try to go ahead and take the stereotypes about things. And it's like, you know, at best, like, they have a, they're, they're, they have a bond. And, you know, their bond should be stronger than that. You understand what I'm saying? Especially if you go by, like, in the first movie, right? Wasn't, like, Venom eating Eddie's organs? Because they do separate and they argue and all this stuff throughout this movie. Like, most of it, once again, suffers from a paper-thin plot. You know, you're dealing with Eddie and Venom's struggles because they're trying to figure, like, where they go in the next duration of their whole relationship. You know, as friends and as host and symbiote. But, <laughs> the thing is, though, you, you see it like it's very on the nose, and it gets really annoying. Kind of bogs down the plot a little bit, because they already had a deal with each other that was established in the first one. It's okay for Venom to eat the heads off of bad people, but apparently, I guess, Eddie must have backtracked on that. So, little things. And then he also was, uh, you know, satisfying Venom's hunger by having him eat chickens or something. I'm like, oh my god. You know, chicken blood can't measure up to the amount of human blood. And there's plenty of bad people out there. They're in San Francisco! 
you know, shoot, hey, you read all the news about it, and I know before some of you are like, ain't you trying to move that way? Eh, go lower. <laughs> but hey, there's bad stuff everywhere, and they could be fighting crime. I thought that was kind of the point, but eh, moving forward. So, you know, like, of course, like, Woody Harrelson is playing as Cletus Cassidy, and he did a phenomenal job. Like, he was incredible in the role. It's like he was at home in it. But then again, this is Woody Harrelson, so if you pay attention to, like, his career, he always plays, like, offbeat characters from time to time. Even from all the way back to White Man Can't Jump. So, it's like, yeah, he's at home in this. And, he, and he's hamming it up. He's having a good time playing as serial killer Cletus Cassidy. And you see, like, for some reason he took an interest in Eddie. And then, like, if you read the comics, you can see, like, you know, in the comics, like, they were actually uh, prison roommates believe it or not and then like when the symbiote came back for eddie it left a little bit and then a little bit got in contact with cassidy which later became carnage but in this particular one you know circumstances like he was doing interviews for him because eddie was going back into the written word and you see like it didn't really take off eddie's doing all these bum jobs and horrible assignments it's that's the way it is in journalism and then all of a sudden like he just wanted to talk to eddie and tell him his life story he's like i'm gonna give you all about me but little did you realize that, you know, Cletus Cassidy has a scheme up his hand, uh, you know, up his sleeve. But then you see, like, the storyline that surrounds him and all, like, the movie captured that right. Because, yeah, he is crazy. Yeah, there, you know, he does have, like, um, you know, he went through an abusive upbringing and everything. Like, from um, three main people in his life, like his grandma, his mom, and his father. Like, that actually happened. That was, that was good. And then, like, you saw all the stuff that it led to, but you see Venom wanted to go a little bit more on this and, you know, find out where the bodies that Cassidy killed were. And then you see, like, when he located it and they found out all that stuff that Cassidy did, it went against Cassidy's deal with Eddie, for one thing. And then, you know, it also went against the deal that Eddie had with the FBI on another thing because one of the people on the FBI was Patrick Mulligan, who actually, well, we'll go into lore later, but... Actually, Patrick Mulligan, who actually been keeping an eye on Eddie Brock because of what he did in the first Venom movie. So there was a reference to it. <laughs> Especially with somebody losing their head. Yeah. And you see, like, um, with the biting... And you see, like, there was a moment... Oh, God, I'm going a little too ahead of myself. But there was a moment where, like, uh, Cassidy and Eddie had a standoff, of course. And, like, Cassidy bit his hand. Which later, he's like, I tasted blood before, but that ain't it. And got a little bit of that venom in him. Because he's on set to go ahead and get the old uh, death penalty done to him for what he did. But also, you know, there's a sympathetic side to Cassidy too. Because, which really isn't prevalent in the comic, but it works for the movie. You know, there's a girl that he was in love with. You know, but she was a mutant. And you see, but she could project sound waves. And when she could project sound waves, I knew they were taking Shriek and they put her in this movie. And I was like, cool. You took one of the minor characters that dealt with Cloak and Dagger. And also dealt with Carnage, and you're putting her in her own movie. I think Shriek was kind of in the X-Men mythos, too, because she is a mutant. But, you know, she was in there, and they had the Ravencroft Institute. I was like, yes, yes, this is beautiful. You're building up Spider-Man's world without Spider-Man in it. That's how you do it. But, you see, the sad part is is that, you know, she was taken away from him, and he always there was always, like, mail and letters and paper dealing with him sent to her. As a way to keep her involved in the whole thing. It's a subplot where like. We're seeing Cassidy's human side. And more or less like he wants to be back with the woman he loves. I totally get it. And you see like. Um, as that goes down. 
the best part is is like when um they try to kill Cassidy, and then you see the Carnage symbiote come out, and this is after like Venom and Eddie had their big spat and broke up, and it's it's wild with that. But yeah, all the Carnage scenes were just top notch, even for a PG thirteen film. Like all the killing and slaying, and just ah, oh, it was beautiful. I was like, yes, this is great. You know, I thought it was a bit much where he shoved his tongue in the in the warden's mouth, but whatever. It's Carnage, and Carnage is on screen, which is what is the saving grace of this movie. Because like there are moments where the plot gets pretty hackneyed, and then like he's over there, he's causing a ruckus, but more like. Age of Ultron, it feels like a one-day occurrence, you know? Especially as he becomes more and more involved into being Carnage. And you see, like, like the standoff and the speaking between, like, you know, Cassidy and Carnage is amazing, too. They did a phenomenal job with him. And you're seeing a lot of him anyway because this is his movie. And he lets you know it. <laughs> Especially as they break Shriek out of the Ravencroft Institute and, like, you see them causing trouble. And more or less it's because Cassidy wants to marry her. And then, like, there's this big fight in the church. And then you see eventually, like, Venom and uh, Venom and Eddie do come back together with the help of Anne. And, you know, like, it was nice seeing that demographic play out. Because I, I really do like, um, you know, that side of the story sometimes when it's just not on the nose and hitting you. Especially with flanderization. So, when they finally come back together and they battle it out in the church, now, Venom and Carnage only fight one time. And it's, it's, it's a bit much because you're hoping that, like, Venom would sense Carnage, you know? Like, that's my other, that's my offspring, yada, yada, yada. But you don't get any of that. And that's really what kind of lets down the movie. But they do find each other, but they do find each other, come back together, and then they go to the church to battle against this Carnage symbiote. And then, of course, you know, you've seen it all in the trailer, but the fight sequence between them was actually pretty decent. Even though it's for that one time, and even though it happens in the church, and then there are moments where, like, you see the Carnage symbiote actually goes against Cassidy and doesn't really respond to, like, what he says entirely, which goes against the comics because they are, like, closer than Venom and Eddie at times. But it's like, you know, you see the standoff, you see the battling, and then you see, like, where Shriek even, Shriek was like, this is too much. And then she uses some of her sonic powers to go ahead and try to hit Cassidy with him. You know, and then, like, Carter's like, we gotta shut her up. <laughs> it was wild. Because it was like, you know, I know Carter doesn't care about anything, but, yeah, this is a bit, this actually works for the movie. And you see, as they do battle it out, I would tell you how it ends, but I'm not going to, because you should watch it. But it's actually worth it. In my opinion, it's it's not going to give you a four or five. And then the movie's pretty short anyway, like, what, 92 minutes? So, I mean, like, it's one of those things you just watch and you're like, oh, okay, this is nice. Okay, yeah, all right, all right, I'm coasting through it. Average movie. I give it three bloody knuckles. And to be fair, it's like the first uh, premiere movie that I actually do for the Monster Fest. And, yeah, rightfully so. I liked it as much as the first one because, hey, I love Venom. And I figure more Venom, that's great. But a lot of people will tell you about the post credit scene. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of y'all know about that, right? It's been about, what, three weeks in? So, yeah, I'm sure a lot of y'all know about that already. But I ain't going to talk about it. Not here. Not tonight. <laughs> but I say if you haven't seen it and you're worried about seeing it, like, don't worry about seeing it. I, I, I never understand why people say that they're worried about seeing a movie. You know, it's just like, if you go for the matinee price, usually it's like 9-something or 10. Like, 
you can drop ten dollars in the bucket if you're able to, right? Like, just go see the movie. It already made its money. It made a killing on its opening weekend. But if you need something to get away from real life for a little bit, which we all do, because God knows we can't have a comedy special without people freaking out left and right about it and all this other jazz. I'll talk about that in another episode. So, <laughs> you know, I would say go see it. And it is watchable. But, you know, it's just an upward climb during the Venom and Eddie scenes to get there. But when Anne's on there, Anne more or less plays the referee, the mediator between them both. So, you know, it works with that. And then I kind of like how there's a resolution to it because Eddie will never have Anne in his life ever again. So that was actually really cool. So, you know, definitely check out that part. But as I go about this, guys, I still have some Monster Fest um well some monster festivities for you in addition to talking about that monster right there we are going to also take a look at some scary stories tonight you know as i go into it i hope i didn't reread some of these but if i did and if it's your first time listening i think i have won the bet (laughs) these are not scary stories to tell in the dark these are scary stories to tell if you dare and the thing about it is, if you're freaking out, or if you got work in the morning and all that kind of stuff, and you're like, damn it, J-Man, why'd you keep me up all night with this shotgun? Well, the whole point about it is, is that you knew what you was getting into when you saw me talking about this. And you didn't see me talking about it because it's not a visual medium right now. It will be eventually, though. Anyway, the first story we're going to read tonight is called Under the Bed. A husband and wife were on vacation together. They checked into their hotel room in the morning and went out for the rest of the day. When they got back to the room, though, they noticed a strange smell. The smell was so bad that they had trouble sleeping. They complained to the hotel manager, but he said there was nothing he could do. So all the other rooms were taken. And then they tried to ignore the smell. Well, because they had to deal with it. But each night it got worse and worse, and by the third night they couldn't sleep at all. They told the manager to come to the hotel himself, come to the hotel room himself, and see how bad the smell was. When the manager smelled the room for himself, he said it would need to be cleaned right away. He didn't know what was causing it, but he sure hoped that would help. The cleaning people vacuumed and scrubbed all around the room, but the smell didn't go away. Then they lifted up the bed to clean beneath it, and what they saw made them all scream. A rotten, dead body. You know, the thing about this, this one was actually true. You know, because there was a couple that was vacationing in hawaii and you know that that smell got worse and worse every time and then they looked underneath it wasn't even underneath the bed this is underneath the bed but this real story was actually in the box spring and it was a prostitute that was laying there decayed with bone marrow and all this stuff and then maggots all over it it was like this was definitely done by a professional Because, like, the shape of it and all that stuff was just still preserved in the plastic. But, yeah, this actually did happen. So, you know, the next time you go on a hotel vacation and stuff, really smell the room and make sure that there ain't no dead body up in there. Because, you know, like, when I go on vacation, I actually do take a look underneath to see if there ain't anything in that box spring. (laughs) No, for real, I do. Shoot, that's all I need. It's bad enough if there's a bad smell in there and nobody used the bathroom. Now, this next one is called Click Click. Rose, Brenda, and Yan were sisters. They lived in a small house with their mother. She always got home late from work. Most nights, they spend time together in the kitchen until she got home. 
The only other way in and out of the kitchen was through a door to the hallway. There was a lot of crime in their town, so they always kept that door locked until their mother got home. One night, they were waiting for her when they noticed the door handle twist, like someone was trying to open it from the other side. Mama? Rose asked. But there was no reply. Uh, let's pretend we're having a party, Jan said. If we make a lot of noise, maybe we can scare them away. The three sisters talked real loud and clanged pots and pans together, but whoever was on the other side of that door kept trying to get in. Then the door handle stopped twisting. For a moment there, the sisters thought that the person on the other side must have left. That's when they heard a different sound. Click, click. Click, click. They all realized what it was. Now the person in the hallway was switching the lights on and off, on and off for no reason. It seemed like whoever it was wanted to scare them. Jian called the police, but the police in their town usually took a long time to show up. They were always busy with other crimes. The sister's mother wouldn't be home for another two hours. They couldn't wait that long. If the person in the hallway was crazy, they might try to break through the door, and it wasn't a very sturdy door, they might be able to if they tried hard enough. The sisters tried to come up with a plan. As they were talking, the noise continued. Click, click. Click, click. Finally, they decided to grab the sharpest knife they could and run into the hallway. They thought if they ran in there all at once, they could scare away whomever was on the other side of the door. Each sister lined up by the hallway door. Brenda was the oldest, so she went first. They, she opened the door and ran into the hall. All the sisters screamed and held up their knives high to make it look like they were even scarier than what they were. The light was off, and it was almost pitch black in the hallway, but each sister could see the dark shape of a man running up to the attic stairs. They didn't follow him. Instead, they waited outside for the police. When they finally showed up, one of the officers went inside to check the house. When he came back, he said he didn't find anyone. There was just one clue, an open window up by the attic. Oh, my God. Yo. Oh, my God. That, that's that's pretty damn freaky right there, isn't it? <laughs> Sheesh. You know, there's a lot to that, man. <laughs> Just saying that right now. Like, could, could you imagine, though? I mean, like, see, the thing with me is, I don't think I'd have a knife. I think I'd be sitting there with a gun. Yeah. I'm going to have to pop you. I mean, if anything else like that, because I don't, I don't trust that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm already scary enough by the way I am, but that, that, ugh. Ooh, I, I, I can't, man. I can't. <laughs> oh, man. Here we go. This one is called Footsteps. My mother's family didn't have a lot of money when she was growing up. They all lived together in a small house. Everyone had to take turns sleeping in the attic. It was dark and scary up there. The person who lived in the house before them had killed himself in the attic. But there wasn't enough space in the other rooms. On this night, it was my grandmother's turn. She had been asleep for almost an hour when one of my aunts called up there. Mama, are you okay? she asked. Yes, everything is fine, my grandmother called back. Why? I heard footsteps, my aunt said. I thought you couldn't get to sleep. I've been asleep the whole time, my grandmother said. You must be hearing things. It was an old house. They always heard a lot of strange noises like that. My grandmother started to go back to sleep. She almost dozed off when something else woke her. The sounds of footsteps on the other side of the attic. They were heavy, like a man's. They kept getting closer to her, slowly but surely. My grandmother didn't know what to do. If she tried to run, there was no way she could escape in time. The footsteps got closer until they stopped right in front of her. It was too dark in the attic for her to see anything. After a moment, she heard the sound of a man laughing. The sound came from the spot where the footsteps stopped. 
The man laughed and laughed and didn't seem to stop. My grandmother was terrified. There was no chance she could get away now. She was a very religious woman, so the only thing she could think to do was pray. It seemed like she prayed for hours. Finally, the laughter stopped. She heard some more footsteps, then a creaking noise, and after a few moments, she found the courage to turn on the light. There was no one there, but my grandmother did see something else that scared her. The floor of the attic was always pretty dusty, and in the dust she saw a large set of footprints. Ooh, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know what? I had this dream one time, like somebody did a creepy laugh, and it was in a dark room, and I was there. And the thing is, I did the J-Man laugh. You know, you know, a lot of y'all hear my laugh all the time. But then I did it in such a way, it scared the living hell out of him, and he fell out the window. <laughs> That's a low one. Don't don't even think about it. But you see, the point about it is, is that, you know, if you need to, you can really return that on some other people and get the, get them the hell out of your way, if you have to. You know what I mean? Yeah, just little things to think about. Actually, you guys ready for this one? This one is called The Side of the Road. Alright? Now, I don't know if I read this one already, but once again, like I said, you know, feel the vibe. This might actually be a decent story. It might be a happy-go-lucky tale, you know? It, it might be. So let's go on ahead with this. A husband and wife, Fred and Karen, oh boy, were driving down a dark mountain road one night. It was a curvy road and a lot of people got in accidents there. As they were driving, Karen saw a woman standing on the side of the road. She had a lot of blood on her. Fred drove right past her, though. Did you see that, Karen asked? See what, Fred replied. That woman back there. I didn't see anyone, he said. It was very dark and Karen was very tired, but she knew what she saw. She told Fred to turn around and drive back. The woman looked like she was hurt and needed help. When they got back to the spot, there was no woman there. Karen and Fred parked on the side of the road and got out to look for her. There was a steep hill next to the road, and Karen saw a wrecked car at the bottom of it, and she and Fred climbed down to get a better look. They must have driven off the road, Karen said. When they looked in the car, the woman Karen had seen was in the driver's seat. She was dead. Next to her was a little boy. He didn't say a word, but he was still alive. Fred and Karen called 911 and told them what they had found. When the doctors got there, they said it looked like the boy hadn't eaten in days and he would have died in only a few hours if they hadn't found him. I guess the woman must have found a way to crawl out and get up to the road, she said. Karen uh, said she must have been trying to get help. Maybe she went back to the car she, she saw us check on the boy. That's impossible, a doctor told her. This woman has been dead for at least three days. Now, you know, that's wild as hell, isn't it? Could you imagine, though? Like... For real. <laughs> he only got one time, man. Like, that that's creepy enough. Jesus. <laughs> Makes you wonder sometimes about some of these things. Oh, man. Like, like you know, at the end of the day, you, you see, like... Oh, man, I don't know which one's worse. The ones that are, like, you're in a quiet spot, like an attic or something. Or then, like, when you're riding out there in public... And it's like no one's around you to see any of this. And then you see things that are mysterious. It's kind of like last time when I was reading about Maggie's baby. Remember Maggie's bridge? And then like, you know, you say like, Maggie, I have your baby. And then Maggie will show up. That's wild. It's, it's just little things like that. Anyway, I got enough time for one more story. So here we go. This one is called Scratching Sounds. 
Oh, wow, this deals with Kyle. I think I think I probably read something similar to this before, but you know what, though? I think it'll probably give you a pretty good impact. Here we go, yes. Beth and Anne were college roommates. That night, most of the other students were away. It was almost time for the holiday break. And when they had gone home, both Beth and Anne both had a few more tests to take before they could leave. Usually the building was filled with other students. Most of the time it was a lot of fun, but that night with so many people gone, it was a little scary. Beth and Anne got along well, though, and told jokes and stories to help each other relax. After that, they decided to watch some TV. Well, they're already in trouble. TV's not good for you. When they turned on the TV, there was a special news report on an insane killer had escaped from a nearby prison. The report said that anyone living in the area should be extra careful and lock all their doors. There's nothing to worry about, Beth said. That prison isn't really that close, and there's no reason a killer would head this way anyway. Anne agreed, but they both decided it would be a good idea to lock the door just in case. They put on a funny TV show and tried to forget about the whole thing. A little later, Beth started to feel hungry. She asked Anne if she wanted to get some food with her. No thanks, Anne said. I'm getting a little tired. Will you be okay alone? I'll be fine, Beth said. The killer won't come anywhere near the college, but just to be safe, lock the door behind me. I'll bring my key to let myself back in. Okay, Anne said. An hour passed and Beth hadn't come back yet. She's probably just saw someone she knew, Anne told herself. I'm sure she's fine. Anne was a little worried but decided to go to sleep. She was sure that Beth would be back when she woke up. But it didn't happen. Instead, Anne awoke in the middle of the night to a strange sound outside her door. Beth was still gone. It sounded like some sort of animal scratching at the door, trying to get in. Anne sat there in fear. Go away, she finally shouted, but whatever it was at the door kept scratching at it. After what felt like hours, it finally stopped. There was a thudding sound, like something heavy being dropped on the floor. Anne waited for a few moments, and when she got up enough courage, she walked slowly to the door and opened it. Beth was in the hallway, lying in a pool of blood. Someone had stabbed her to death, but she didn't die right away, because along the door were scratch marks, and Beth's nails were worn down. It looked like she had been scratching at the door, trying to get in. You know something? Uh, <laughs> when it gets right down to like um, those, these college kind of stories... They really make you wonder because, like, dare I say, like, usually colleges are actually, no, no, they're not, no, they're not, because I used to be on dorm life. You could get in if you really wanted to. I was trying to go ahead and alleviate and try to say things were safer, but I'm not going to lie to you, because I don't lie, but the truth is, is like, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, that's a bit much. I don't miss dorm life at all now that I think about it. I don't. Let's see. Do I have enough time for one more? Okay, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, let's go have one more. Why not? It's a 45-minute show, you know? Let's see, the elevator. Sandra lived in the city. One night, she got back to her apartment building very late. She lived on the fifth floor. As she stepped into the elevator, a man rushed behind her, shouting, Wait, hold the elevator, please. She held the door open until the man got in. He thanked her and pressed the button for the fourth floor. Now, Sandra didn't know him, but there were a lot of people in the building she never met. He looked like a nice person, and they talked for a few moments as the elevator made its way to the top of the building. At the fourth floor, the man got out and said, Have a nice night, Sandra said. The man turned to look back at her and said, I'll see you on the fifth floor, he said. Sandra blinked and didn't know what he meant, but then she saw it. The man was holding a sharp, bloody knife. He grinned at her like a crazy person, then darted to the stairs as the elevator doors closed. Sandra didn't have time to run. The doors closed in front of her. Her building was old and there was no button to stop the elevator. And then it started moving up to the fifth floor. 
you know something? I like to think that Sandra actually put up a good fight and that she actually held her own and chose life to battle against that insane man. But I'd be wrong. So, you know, as I go about telling you that, uh, I hope that you all do sleep tight and that you all wrap yourselves up really, really nice and all. Because, like, this stuff ain't going to happen to you. You're going to be fine. Ain't nothing going to kill you and all that jazz. You, you know, ain't nobody really looking at you like you a piece of meat and trying to go ahead and wipe you out. Because you know that ain't going to happen to you, right? You're going to be okay. I, I No, you can't guarantee my word on that. <laughs> Hell no, you can't. But, you know, it's little things like that, though. Like, just be aware of where you live at and all that jazz, and you're going to be fine. You know, you're, you're going to be fine. Just saying. Because, uh, like I said, I'm not liable for, like, if you freaking out all the time and stuff. All right, look. Here's one that I haven't read to you guys. This is something that is actually pretty light. So let this be the last story, then. I'm trying to find you guys a nice light one so you can get a little sleep in. Alright, this is called The Clown. Yo, yeah, oh boy, good good picture. Alright. It was Becca's first time babysitting for her neighbors, the Johnsons. The night started out easy. The two girls she was watching were well-behaved. They went to sleep as soon as Becca arrived. She decided to watch some TV while she waited for her neighbors to get back. The bigger TV was down in the basement. But when Becca looked down there, she saw a large clown statue in the corner of the room. It scared Becca, and she decided to watch TV upstairs instead. About an hour later, Mr. Johnson called to ask how things were going. Everything's fine, Becca said. I'm just watching TV right now. Feel free to use the bigger TV down in the basement if you want, said Mr. Johnson. She said, I would, but that big clown statue you have down there is too scary for me. Mr. Johnson was silent for a moment, and finally he said, We don't have a clown statue. Get the girls out of the house and call the police. Becca did as she was told, and when the police got there, they found an insane man dressed as a clown in the basement. He'd recently escaped from the nearby prison, and he had been sent there for killing a babysitter. Damn! Okay, you know, me finding a light story for you guys, it ain't gonna happen, especially tonight in the middle of the Monster Fest. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you think about it. That, that, that clown must have done this before. Well, obviously he has. But, damn, did he do it in the same house? Is that how she got the job? See, it's little things like that that make me wonder. Like, like, ugh. Wow, that is weird. Because, you know, if anything, wow, he must not really be that great at his job then. Because wouldn't he got her first, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and be done with it? But, nah, I guess he wanted that little suspense. We don't have a clown statue. Woo! I can feel the chills from that one. I mean, after all, what do y'all think about it? Yeah, 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 whatever. Alright, so, <laughs> I guess we can go ahead and put a ribbon on this one, because, um, you know, if I tell you guys any more, chances are you probably won't even go back to sleep until maybe Sunday. Probably. Uh, you know, if you make it that long. Uh, until then, though, I would like to say thanks for tuning in and listening to tonight's episode of The J-Man Show. I will be back with, um, God, we got a full week of content. Uh, will there be another J-Man Show episode tomorrow? I don't know. Uh, Thursdays are pretty, is pretty open right now. I mean, we can see what happens. I might mystery box it. But I do know that it'll be Jams Week, and the Jams deadline is definitely Thursday at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern because we got a pretty big show ahead for us on Friday with Jams. And then with Saturday, let's see, we got another Monster Fest Hall episode happening. 
So you got a lot to look forward to this week, guys. But until then, though, this is J-Man signing off. Y'all take it easy for me, okay? Peace. Thank you.